Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay on Thursday, January the 5th. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. And our top story today is that bosses at Kent's biggest hospital have apologised after an elderly man was left waiting in accident and emergency for 15 hours. Brian Hooker ended up discharging himself from Medway Maritime in Gillingham before being seen by a doctor. He then suffered a fall while trying to walk home. Well, thankfully, some passers-by spotted the 86-year-old and managed to get him home. The Trust's chief executive says they're sorry for the long wait and have asked the patient and his family to contact them directly so they can investigate. Well, we've been hearing an awful lot over the past few weeks about how the NHS is struggling to cope with huge demand this winter. And it's not just hospitals who are seeing more and more patients. I've been getting an update on the situation from Dr Jack Jacobs, who's a GP near Ashford. I've been a GP for over 15 years now and it's it's certainly been the busiest couple of weeks, I think, that I or any of my colleagues have ever experienced. There's just a whole backlog of problems. There's been obviously the strep A outbreak, and now we've got flu, there's COVID lurking around, and there's, there's lots of patients waiting for uh, procedures at the hospital, and they all, need, they all need our support. And it has been extremely, extremely challenging to meet that demand, despite the fact that we're actually putting on as GPs across Kent and Medway, more appointments than ever before. Is the system coping? We're hearing an awful lot nationally about a crisis. I mean, how would you describe it at the moment? There is a crisis in bits of the NHS at the moment. I think acute and urgent care is just not coping. There are lots of complex reasons for that. I think, actually, for that bit of the system, the bit that isn't working is that they can't get the throughput of patients through the hospital. So there are lots of patients. I have patients that I look after who are in hospital that probably could go home. They could go to a step-down bed. They could go to a residential care home. But there simply isn't uh, the care in place to do that. And I think that's absolutely critical. If you can't get the patients out of the hospital, you can't admit the patients into the hospital and they get stuck in A&E. And that's when ambulances start queuing. In fact, the numbers going into A&E, although I think they have gone up a bit in the last month or two, if you look at the numbers over 2022 compared to 2019, I don't think there's an awful lot of difference. Um, But the reason that patients aren't getting through are because of those backlogs in getting patients out of hospital. And I don't think anyone wants to be there, patients or their relatives. We're hearing quite a few case studies of people who've been left in corridors in A&E departments, that sort of thing. We've actually got a story running on Kent Online about a man who waited 15 hours, an elderly man, and then just discharged himself because he couldn't couldn't wait any longer. I mean, things like that must be concerning, surely. You know, it's such a worry. And, uh, you know, I've heard similar sort of stories from my patients and I I worry because actually they often do need some treatment. uh, And uh, if they can't get it from A&E, they'll end up coming back to us. And sometimes we're not the right sort of place to give the treatment they need. It is a real worry. It's a real concern. Having said all that, you know, if you have got a a concern, if you are feeling very unwell, if you had a a acute illness and you feel very unwell or you've had an accident, then you should still go to A&E. There are mechanisms in place to try and triage those that are most in need of treatment. Um, So I don't want people not to go to the doctors uh, or A&E or GP or 111 or walk-in centres because they are still working, but they're 
very much at a crisis point and the waits are very long. And don't forget, if you've got a story for us, you can email news at thekmgroup.co.uk. Kent Online News. Some crime news for you now. And a man's appeared in court after punching people outside a Weatherspoon pub in Maidstone. Adam Felton was arrested at the Society Rooms in Week Street last month. The 35-year-old from Edgerton Road in the town has been ordered to pay nearly £200. A Hadlow woman who was over the drink drive limit when she got behind the wheel of her car following a row has been given a 12-month driving ban. Sophie Eastwood was pulled over by police in Court Lane where she lives last November. The 33-year-old was also found with a small amount of cannabis. A woman who spat in a police officer's face while drunk in Maidstone has been given a 12-month community order. Karen Goodman was also seen running across a road into oncoming traffic in Upper Stone Street last month. The 44-year-old from Langley Way in Kings Hill has been in court and will have to attend rehab sessions as well as paying £300 in compensation. And the Justice Secretary has launched a last-ditch attempt to keep a Kent woman who badly abused her baby behind bars. Tony Hudgel had to have both legs amputated after cruelty by his birth parents seven years ago. His biological mum, Jodie Simpson, is due out on licence this week after winning a previous High Court battle against Dominic Raab's decision to delay her release. Kent Online reports. This is one of our most read stories on the website today. Plans to carry out three years of major roadworks on Bluebell Hill have been pushed back. Almost £200 million is due to be spent on upgrading the dual carriageway, which links Maidstone and Medway, including revamping the roundabouts at the M2 and M20 junctions. The council had anticipated starting the work in 2024. It now looks like it won't happen until 2027. Bin men in Ashford could be the next to take strike action. They're hoping for a pay rise to bring them in line with colleagues in other parts of Kent. The GMB union has described the council's waste contractor Biffa as a profit-driven employer which is refusing to negotiate. Members will be balloted later this month. A man's been treated by paramedics after breathing in smoke during a flat fire in Ramsgate. Emergency crews were called when an oven caught a light on Grange Road early this morning. No one was hurt and the blaze is thought to have started accidentally. At Kent Online you can see a picture of a 10-foot sinkhole that's opened up in a garden in Maidstone. It's thought to have been caused by a leaking water pipe at a laundrette on Foley Street. The business has been forced to close until repairs are carried out. Now, it's been confirmed today that 2022 was the hottest year on record in the UK. The Met Office say last year's average temperature topped 10 degrees Celsius for the first time. You'll probably remember that temperatures in Kent reached a sweltering 40 degrees in the summer and firefighters dealt with almost a thousand wildfires in the county. Well, I've been speaking to Maidstone Green Councillor Stuart Jeffrey. It is very concerning, but it's it's hardly unexpected. Um, these trends have been increasing. Um, we're all very much aware of the huge spike in temperature, the huge heat wave we had um, last year, last summer. Um, so it's it's expected that we are going to increase quite quickly. But but this is quite a a milestone that that shifting from nine degrees to 10 degrees effectively as an average temperature for the year. Um, and, and I think that the biggest thing that worries me is the speed at which this is impacting us. Um, you know, people think of climate change as being this long-term um, issue that will happen after we're all 
dead and buried, but actually it's it's hitting now, um, and and these are the impacts we're seeing, uh, and it's not just here. Um, you know, the the reports across Europe are are quite horrific um, over the last few days. Um, huge, huge heat waves in in um, sort of northern and slightly eastern Europe, um, lack of snow in the Alps and so forth. So you know we're seeing some some pretty horrific um, temperatures um, floating around at the moment. And do you think maybe yeah, yeah. for a lot of us, last year's really high temperatures were the first proper real indication as to how devastating climate change can be? Because we had almost a thousand wildfires that happened in Kent. I mean, we haven't seen anything like that before, have we? It was utterly shocking, and 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 whilst the we, we've had a few wildfires in Kent over the years, but actually the one that really hit home to me was was the street in East London um, that was was burnt out. And you know, if you'd have asked me even five years ago, you know, what, what's going to be the impact of climate change, I wouldn't have said wildfires in London. Um, but here we are, um, you know, um, witnessing that. Um, and you know, those wildfires were were bad in Kent and bad around the country. Um, it, and we had 3,000 people die, I believe, um, was, was the figure uh, as a result of those temperatures. You know, that's a huge, huge number of deaths um, that, that, frankly, we should have foreseen and, and, and put, put measures in place um, decades ago to, to prevent this happening. Um, but we needed to do that as a world and we failed to do it. A lot of councils in Kent have declared their own climate emergencies, but do you still think they're doing enough? There's a huge amount to be done at a local level. Um, and a lot of it is around engagement and, and the planning for um, uh, for, for the, the impacts that we're going to have. Um, yes, most of them have declared an emergency, but very few of them have put in um, and a few of them have done some mitigation, as it's called, you know, um, trying to reduce some of the carbon. Um, but it's at the margins. Um, what we what local councils can start to do is change their their way of thinking, engage with um, their communities and say, actually, we're going to be suffering with these heat domes in the future. What do we need to do? How do we need to change the way we're working um, and planning to, to cope with those additional heat heat? The spikes and 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 so and, and weather events and the flooding, um, but also um, how do we need to change the way we're going to work for the wider ecology and uh, and and resource depletion because you know we are going to have to get off of uh, off of oil for 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 transport for example and I was at the Maidstone Joint Transportation Board last night um, saying you know we're we're still building roads. Um, actually, we need to start taking the money out of new roads and put it into public transport, for example, um, because and, and walking and cycling and and and, and ways of tra traveling that will meet the needs of the future. Um, all the time, we're um, we're sort of carrying on with the business as usual approach. Um, we're, we're just gonna just gonna run into some 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 heavy uh, heavy problems in the future. Kent Online reports. Ashford skyline is about to look quite different with a distinctive railway lighting tower set to be dismantled. Network Rail has confirmed the structure, which has loomed over the station for decades, has become obsolete and will be taken down. It follows the reconfiguration of the railway layout to make way for the high-speed link between the Channel Tunnel and London. You can see pictures of what it looks like now at Kent Online. Staying close to Ashford and people 
people living in a village near the town say a main road is being used like a race circuit. In the most recent crash on the A252 in Molash, a car collided with a parked vehicle, then went into a nearby house where reporter Rhys Griffiths has been working on this story for us and joins me now. Rhys, thanks ever so much for being on today's podcast. Firstly, for anyone who doesn't know that area in particular, can you just describe the road to us? Well, Nicola, the A252, which passes through countryside between Canterbury, Faversham and Ashford is pretty much your typical rural A road. It's one lane in each direction. I've had it described to me as a great road for driving and the speed limit does vary throughout. It obviously drops down when the road passes through some of the small villages and communities along the route. In Molash itself, the speed limit drops down to 40 miles per hour, but for people living there, it's simply not slow enough. And we've got pictures within the story showing that latest crash. It does look awful. Was anyone hurt? The pictures certainly are dramatic and thankfully, apart from some minor injuries sustained by a passenger in one of the vehicles involved, there were no serious injuries, although of course it could have been a whole lot worse. What happened was is that a car left the carriageway on the street, which is where the A252 passes through Molash, and careered into a parked car, which was then propelled forward, crashing into the front of a neighbouring property. The damage is so significant that the people living there have now had to move out. They're having the damage assessed and figuring out what building work will need to take place before they can move back into their home. Now, villagers want something to be done, Reese. What action are they taking? This latest accident which happened last month is not the first to occur on this stretch of the A252 through Molash. And villagers there, really, they are desperate to have the speed limit reduced. Uh, they believe that if cars are slower passing through, through their community, then there will be less chance of repeats in the future. To try and make the case for this, they have submitted an e-petition to Kent County Council as the Highways Authority and are seeking as many people as possible to add their signatures to that and give backing to a reduction in the speed limit. So far, more than 60 people have signed and the petition is open until February the 14th. Reese, thank you ever so much. And police have told us they're still searching for the driver of the car involved in that crash, which happened on December the 18th. There's some good news if you use the M20. Operation Brock is being deactivated this weekend. The contraflow system was put in place between Maidstone and Ashford over the Christmas period to limit any cross-channel disruption. Part of the motorway will be closed overnight on Friday and Saturday. The 50 mile per hour speed limit will remain in force. Though. The Kent Online podcast has been told rumours about turning a shopping centre in Maidstone into 200 flats are not true. Messages about the Broadway shopping centre have been posted online. There's been concern about the site's future after Little and Matalan both moved out. Council bosses say they're aware it may need redeveloping at some point, but no planning applications have been submitted. Kent Online News. Plans for an 8,000-seater football stadium in North Kent could be delayed because of archaeological remains underground. Ebbsfleet United want to build a new facility at the site of their existing home on Stonebridge Road at a cost of £40 million, while Historic England has raised concerns after plans were submitted to the council and it's thought there could be 400,000-year-old remains buried in the area. Now, the podcast has been hearing how a new film set in Margate helped boost the local economy by a whopping £4.8 million. Olivia Coleman's been nominated for a Golden Globe 
Globe for her role in Empire of Light, which is directed by Sam Mendes. Film crews and cast were on location for more than three months as they converted the town into an 80s backdrop. Gabrielle Lindemann from the Kemp Film Office has been speaking to our reporter, Kate Faulkner. Very proud and um, in particular it was quite a big ask because um, they were in town filming for over three months, setting up for a couple of months more. And um, it involved the whole community and a very busy seafront and and all of that. And um, it was absolutely amazing um, also in terms of all the residents and businesses in Margate and their support and how they were on board. Otherwise, we would never have been able to do it. And you touched there about um, the community. What does it mean to the community of Margate and I suppose the rest of the county in general to have to have this film made here? Initially, it meant a lot of disruption for the poor people in Margate while they were there. Do all sorts of closures and uh, transform uh, businesses and seafront areas. But um, hopefully, um, on the flip side of that coin, um, we know that the production spent um, £4.8 million pounds, um, into the local community while they were around. A lot of it in uh, the hospitality, uh, accommodation, etc. sector, which still coming out of COVID for Seaside Town must have been a real boon. And um, it also means the promotion that we're now trying to make that it might make a lot of people look at Margate and uh, hopefully when the season starts or even before the season, jump onto a train and come and visit the town. And tourists aside, obviously we're hoping that of course it'll bring a, a load of tourists to this to the area. What, what about uh, future film and television productions? Are we hoping that it's sort of an ad for the region? Is it, hey, you can come here and, and, and film things here? We hope that it will show Margate and some of the really unique locations to other film and television programmes um, because Sam Mendes is a very well-respected um, director and Roger Deakin is a um, highly awarded uh, cinematographer. So hopefully other people in the industry will look at that and uh, think, well, maybe we want to choose Margate too. And um, what about highlights for you with your involvement in the film? Is there one moment or a special something that you're going to take away from the production? Uh, I was quite pleased that we achieved um, to um, put Margate under snow, the beach and various areas. And uh, the, the most spectacular thing and the most tricky to arrange with everybody was the fireworks, because in the film, um, uh, Olivia Coleman and Michael Ward stand on top of the roof at Dreamland and the fireworks were live. And they had to be the same every single time. And um, it was quite a trick to arrange that and um, because they needed to be launched from a certain point and the tide was coming in and you had to protect the people that were on the promenade. And for us to be able to achieve that after various tests in various locations, and um, that's quite 
amazing and unique, I think. Well, it's out in cinemas next Monday and there's a special screening happening in Westgate over the weekend. And at Kent Online today, you can see pictures of Gravesend Pier from back in the day after it was confirmed the structure has been bought by Uber Boats. It officially opened way back in 1834. It's 260 feet long and cost just short of £9,000 to build. Uber plan to introduce a high-speed commuter river link to London. Kent Online Sports. Football first and there's some big news for Gillingham fans. Andy Hessenthaler is returning to the club. He's left his job as manager of Dover Athletic and will be back as head of recruitment at Priestfield. They're also bringing in Kenny Jackett as director of football as their new American owner fights to lift them out of the League Two relegation zone. On to tennis and Kent's Emma Rajikanu has left the court in tears after being forced to withdraw from her last 16 match at the Auckland Open. She injured her ankle while playing Slovakia's Victoria Kuzmova. The British number one from Orpington is now a doubt for the Australian Open, the first Grand Slam of the year, which is less than two weeks away. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on our socials. That's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and TikTok. You can also get an update of the top stories direct to your email each morning via The Briefing. To sign up, just head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.